this is an interesting little device that our family, Heather and I especially, have become familiar with. Those of you who've been to uh, the doctor's offices or the hospitals or uh, a medical facility lately know all about these things. The pulse, ox, pulse, pulse oximeter, is that right? Pulse ox, pulse ometer, pulse oximeter. Thank you, oximeter, yeah. It's a pulse ox machine is what it is, yeah. But, you know, you push the button and it tells you how, how your blood, the saturation of oxygen in your red, red blood cells. So this summer we've become very familiar with this. Every doctor's appointment, every hospital visit, uh, every checkup, every infusion. She just had her ninth infusion on Thursday. Every time they first, let's check, let's check your vitals, Heather. And, and so I like playing with this too a little bit. See where I, like, how's my pulse ox? Not too bad, you know, not too bad. But it, it's a really uh, handy little tool. Um, and so when you go to the doctor's office, what do they do? They check your vitals. Let's check your blood pressure. Let's check your weight. Let's check your pulse. Do you, do you have one? It's a good thing, right? Um, you know, all of us would acknowledge how important our health is. And, and you know that. Maybe when you're 25, you don't think about it quite as much. As you get a little bit older, you think more about those kind of things. But when something happens or something changes or you start to feel something different in your body, let's get it checked out, right? Let's get it checked out. I wonder how many of us, though, this morning are aware of what's happening spiritually. How, how are we doing? What are our spiritual vitals look like? You know, how, how, how's that part of our, the most important part of our lives, how's that doing? How's that shaping up? Keeping our hands on the pulse of our relationship with God. That's a little harder to do sometimes. And yet the, the Word of God challenges us to pay attention to our spiritual fitness even more clearly, more closely. So look, if you have your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 4, a couple of verses there that Paul writing to, to his young son in the faith. And so 1 Timothy Jump back. It's a, it's a Labor Day. Happy Labor Day weekend, by the way. Glad you made it in this morning. And we're going to see what God has to say about our spiritual fitness today. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, and then verses 6 through 10. Paul says to Timothy, If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. He says, Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. <laughs> Rather, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. For physical training, verse 8, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. It's good to work out, it's good to be healthy. It's good to keep your heart. And you, absolutely, absolutely. We know how important physical health is. But he says, but it has some value, but godliness has value for all things. This is a trustworthy saying, he says, verse 9, that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, in Christ alone, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Mm. J.B. Phillips wrote a, a translation years ago, 
And uh, he says in, in verse 7 of that first chapter, Tim, First Timothy 4, he says, take the time, Philip says, take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. And the New Living Translation says it this way, spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. So there's something about spiritual fitness on the heart of God. And the reality is we are easily distracted. And we are consumed by, our, by life. A, a, a lot of us get consumed by all kinds of things. So if you've got a job, if you're in the working age of your life, you know how much work requires of you, how much the demands are. Family, and we understand family and raising kids, and even with grandkids and ball games, and this, there's a lot that's happening around family and school. Um, hobbies that you might have, technology and how much social media, you know, all that happens with the, these things and the thumbs, and like that's a big deal. Uh, it takes a lot of our time working out. So life has a way of, of, of consuming us and causing us to be distracted. And so God's Word says it's an against-the-grain commitment that you're making, giving yourself to the habits and the disciplines that will lead you to grow in godliness, in Christ-likeness. And so, in fact, Peter ends his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so God has purpose for us to grow in our relationship with him, not stagnant. And, and in fact, there's a couple of key things he mentions there, grace and the knowledge. So there's two key things. Character development is a part of our growth that you will grow in your character. So when, when the Bible says Jesus came full of what? He came full of grace and truth, that every encounter he had was, was, ran through the lens of he's a God who, who has, is filled with grace on one side and also on the same side filled with truth. So it comes together, grace and truth. That's how he operated. And so Jesus came full of that and defined his, it defined his core and his character and so how he interacted with people. So for us, if we're going to grow in our character, God, help me to grow in grace and truth. That's how Jesus came. I'm a Jesus follower. I want to know how do I live more fully in the awareness of grace and truth at every moment. That's a pretty big deal. That'll take you pretty much the rest of your life to get that one sorted out, right? Grace and truth. But then there's also the relational development. Knowledge. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge. And, he's and Peter's talking about experiential, personal knowledge of Jesus. Yes, there is a content to your faith. There's a biblical foundation to your faith. Yes. But it goes beyond knowing facts about God's Word. It has the, this, the, the Word here is, it has a sense of intimacy. Of, of learning to trust him, learning to follow him, that relationally you're growing so that as he moves and works in your life, you're responding to him more fully, more completely, more obediently. I want to move with you. I say that, I use that phrase often. I want to move with you. So where you're moving, I want to move. That's, and you can't know that unless you're spending time with him and getting close to him. In his word, absolutely. In prayer, absolutely. Spending time meditating on the truth of God. Understanding what the Holy Spirit's doing. We're going to talk more about that this morning. The Scriptures know nothing of a sedentary experience with God. It is always alive and dynamic. Even in the dark times, 
Even in the challenging times, it's not sedentary. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have definitely experienced that firsthand this summer. This has been a dynamic summer for us in our family in terms of trusting and leaning in and getting to know the heart of God even more through this time. It's been challenging, but here we are. And so it is dynamic. So how do we pay attention? What is involved in paying attention? One of the most important things that we can do is to ask ourselves some pointed questions to begin to penetrate all the layers. We live behind a lot of layers. <laughs> That's just how we are. There's a lot of layers that we live under. So Lord, help us to sort through some of those layers and get at the heart of it. And so it is a really good time of year. I think as fall's beginning, I know you won't know from the weather forecast this week when you're sweating in your air conditioning, right? Uh, plus 90s this week, but fall's coming. And so a great active time of year. God, help me to press in to understand more of what, what, my, what does my spiritual fitness look like? How, how is my health? What is my spiritual pulse like? And so we're going to ask some questions this morning. Actually, if you were here six and a half years ago, you might have heard these before. I come back to these. I've had these questions for 20, over 20 years, 25 years probably. And I come back to them periodically in my life to say, hey, how, how am I doing? So I'm preaching to me this morning as much as I'm preaching to you. But these questions are solid. And there's, there's six we're going to ask this morning. Actually, they were developed by a, a guy named Fred Smith. And Fred was the former chairman of the board for Christianity Today. He was involved with Youth for Christ. He was a mentor to business executives. And he was an advisor to many ministry leaders. He has since passed away. But he developed these questions. So we're going to share them this morning kind of to help you go under the layers in your life. How's your pulse? So first question this morning. Am I content with who I am becoming? That's the fill-in. Am I content with who I am becoming? Smith said, every day I get one day closer to who I will ultimately be. Am I satisfied with who this will be? As I'm, as I'm becoming, am I becoming who I want to be? Who God wants me to be. The truth is, we are so often caught up in what we do. Note the question is not, am I content with what I am doing? You're doing a lot of things. Sometimes you love it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have a job you're just passionate about, can't wait to get out the door. You might be in a job where it's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, right? It happens. So, so, so you can't, you can't relate your, you can't always say, it, the, the doing part is one thing, but that changes over the course of your life. And some of you are retired, so you're not doing the same things you used to do. You're doing different things. So who am I, who am I becoming, not what am I doing? And so when we introduce ourselves at a party or an event or a social thing, so what, first question, so what do you do? Now, if someone comes up to you and says, now, who are you becoming? You're like, okay, I think I'll go get another cup of, you know, right? That's that scaring me away. That's like freaking me out here. What do you mean? Who am I becoming? But that's the reality, right? When you peel all of it back, being is what God is most concerned about. In fact, uh, in seminary, one of my, I learned a lot of really good things in seminary. One of the things, my favorite class was spiritual formation, which is about becoming. 
And I felt in my spirit, God was speaking to me, hey, Dwight, you get this, you get this right, everything else is going to flow out of that. Because it's, the, the, it's called the primacy of being. We are human beings. We're not human doings. Now, we do a lot of stuff. I get it. I'm not saying, we, of course we do a lot of stuff. But we are human beings. And God is mostly concerned about who we are becoming in him. Really crucial question. The good news, the gospel, is that we don't have to be stuck with who we are. God loves us for who we are, but he refuses to leave us that way. That's a really good truth. In fact, Paul said in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that we are works in progress. He says we are being conformed into the image of his Son. We're being in the process of being molded and shaped. You know, if you have kids, do kids still play with Play-Doh? I'm a little bit removed from the Play-Doh scene. But Play-Doh was a thing at one time. You know, we take Play-Doh and you, you shape it and mold it and you press it in there and conformed. You, you shape it to, the, to the, whatever the thing you're making, right? That's what God's doing in us. He's conforming us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. God is transforming us. That's his work. He's changing us. And so the question is, am I taking on the look of Jesus? Am I looking more and more like him? As you're checking your pulse spiritually, do I see things in my life, fruit in my life, character qualities in my life, commitments in my life, priorities in my life that help me align more and look more like my Savior? And it's not about trying harder. It's not about working more. It's not about performing better. It's really about yielding and surrendering ourselves. And then God works the change in us. As we surrender and give him access and say, God, I'm yours, I belong to you, do what you will. And that's a tough, careful, when you pray it, watch it. But that's the prayer, God, please make me more like you. Change is not easy, but when love is moving us, I ran across something, and I, I love this little illustration. Wayne Cordero was a pastor actually in Hawaii for a number of years. He said, when I was dating my wife, Anna, he said, one thing I admired about her was her love for sports. He said, I love sports too, but there are two sports I don't like. He says, forgive me if you like these, but I don't. The first is bowling. He says, I can't understand it. You pick up this cannonball and throw it on this beautiful maple floor that's tilted, and then it goes down and disappears. Thank goodness. All of a sudden, swabump, it comes back up again. And you throw that thing down again, and it, it goes down and disappears, and all of a sudden, swabump, it comes back up. All night, you're trying to get rid of it. Finally, when you're done and you try to leave, they make you pay for throwing that ball down on the ground. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, Wayne says. The other is roller skating. Four wheels, none of them turn, and they expect you to go around in circles. What's up with that? All right, that's what he says. He said, this is a true story. He said, on our first date, I knocked on Anna's door. I was so excited. I said, where would you like to go tonight? She said, do you like bowling? And she packed, she picked up her own bowling ball. She had her own bag. 
Now he said, I was in love. So when she asked if I liked bowling, my answer was, I love bowling. And we went bowling all night. We had a great time. The next week, I knocked on her door again. I said, where would you like to go this week? She picked up her skates. She said, do you like skating? I said, I've been waiting for months for someone to ask me to go skating. I love skating. And we skated all night. I look back on it now, he says, and think, what made it easy for me to change? Did I have to work up this thing to change my desire for bowling and skating? He said, no. It was because of my relationship with that girl. Because of the love that I had in relationship with her, change was easy. The power to change is predicated upon your relationship with God. How often, how often I think, God, it's hard to do what you're asking me to do. It's hard to change. Do I just grip my teeth? No, the Lord says. Why don't you just come closer to the cross? Why don't you let me restore and renew my relationship with you? Would you come close? And that's how he begins to change us. Love that. So that's the first question. Am I content with who I am becoming? The second question. Am I becoming less religious and more spirit-led? Wow. Write that one down. You can be religious about a lot of things. You can be religious about working out. I know people who are religiously devoted to working out. I'm not one of them, but I, knew, I do know people like that, right? Uh, going, going out. There are people that go out, and, they, and when they go out, they go out the same time each week, and they go to the same diner, and they eat the same thing. They order the same thing. They're religious about whatever, that, that pancake thing, you know, I've been known to eat a few pancakes. I, I would say if I'm going to be religious about food, chocolate chip pancakes happens to be on that, mm, that line, right? But some of you, you go to the same place, you order the same thing. You're relig- going to church can be a religious thing for people. I'm going because I want to be, I want to be out there as, and with my friends. I want to see people. I've got a reputation to uphold. And so church can become a religious thing for people. Hmm. The Pharisees were religious. So when Jesus had a problem, and he did, with one group in particular, it was the religious leaders. The, the Pharisees were the ones that often caught his wrath as he challenged them about what he had come to do. The Pharisees were religious. Christ was, Jesus was, what spirit led he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Even before he does public ministry, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. God had a work to do in the temptation and the testing that was coming on those 40 days. Right off the bat. Hmm. When he comes into the temple in Luke chapter 4 and reads the scripture from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's called me to do these things, to preach good news. To, this is, my mission is led by the Spirit. My work is led by the Spirit. Much tradition is religious, while relationship with Jesus is Spirit-led. I want to say this. It is so much easier to be religious. But to have an ongoing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus requires more from us. We're not just going through the motions. It is our whole heart, 
Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, all your heart, your soul, your mind, your, everything within you. Bring it all. That's the commitment that God longs for us. Whole heart. Religion can get you into a rut. It can be mechanical. In fact, Paul talks about they, these, they, these folks, they had the form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. They looked godly on the outside. They looked proper and clean on the outside, but inside they had no power because power comes from the Spirit of God working in us. Hmm. Be aware of the sharp difference. Religion is an experience I control versus Spirit-led, God controls me. That's a big difference. From a human level, when we do religion and we do these things, we're controlling, we're doing, but when we're led by the Spirit, God, you're in charge, you're leading, and I'm, I'm following, I'm obeying, I'm listening, I'm moving with you. Very different approach. In fact, Paul just finished the series on Galatians right a couple weeks ago. Pastor Chuck was in chapter 5 there. Talked about walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. And so Paul emphasized the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This new thing, this gospel work. Religion is tight and restrictive and duty-bound. And when we're Spirit-led, it is about freedom. It is for, Christ, for freedom that Christ has set you free. Freedom, empowering, and there's a joyfulness that comes from being led by the Spirit. In fact, 2 Corinthians 3.17, Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Hmm. So check yourself this morning to see if you're just going through the motions. Over the long haul, that's the danger of what happens when you're religious. You just go through the motions. You put in your time. You check off the boxes. You do these things. And you think that that makes you close to the living God. No, being, what, what enables us to be close to the living God is a, a, a living, dynamic relationship with the Spirit who lives within us. God has put His Spirit within. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit living within you. And Jesus said He has come to be your paraclete. He's called along to walk alongside of you. He is your helper. He is your guide. He will lead you. He will counsel you. He will direct you. And so it's really crucial that we understand the difference between being religious and spirit-led. So check yourself on that. Am I becoming more spirit-led? Third question. Does my family recognize the authenticity of my walk with Christ? Howard Hendricks, who was a longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, he said this. He said, great impressions can be made from a distance but reality can only be tested close up, right? So this is about making sure the outside, your public face, matches the inside, your private face. That the two go together. Authenticity, integrity is that word. They match what, you, what you're projecting to people around you and what you're doing when nobody sees you. They match. 
And even more importantly, what you're doing when your family sees you, when the people you live with see you, the people you spend the most time with see you. What do they see? What are the people closest to you seeing? Are they seeing pride? Are they seeing anger? Are they seeing selfishness? Are they seeing control? Are you consistent in all the arenas of your life? And I'm not talking about perfection, because none of us qualify. It's not about being perfect. It's about being consistent. Authenticity. I am who I say I am. When I'm here, and when I'm here. And when I'm here, and when I'm here. And when I'm with these people, and these people, I'm the same person. And I might have my flaws, and my warts, and my weaknesses, but God knows, and God's at work. And we give that declaration. Hmm. Sometimes we let down in our homes when that is the very place we are needed more than anywhere else. And it's tempting. If you're out there all day long beating it down and slaying the dragon, and you're out there in the world and you're conquering things, and you come home, you just want, I just want to rest. And, we, and you, need, you need rest. But are you engaged with the people in your home in terms of this, your, your authenticity with Christ? Are you walking it out with Jesus here just like you're saying you're walking it out, out there? So is that, does that line up? Hmm. Consistently loving behind closed doors is where integrity is really measured. Are you consistently loving, serving, giving, modeling, practicing forgiveness in your home? Do you practice forgiveness in your home? with your family? Are you accustomed to saying, I'm sorry to one another? That's a really big thing in families. I've had to say it to my kids. I've had to apologize to my kids when they were living in, in our home. Sorry, dad blew it. I was not right. Please forgive me. And so, so learn to practice. the. And you model that, parents. You model that for your children. Your children will learn to say, I'm sorry, when they have their home because they learned it from you as you model it and practice for them in your home. That's a really important truth. Stephen Alford said, My brothers, I am weary of celebrity religion. I have had my share of honors, but when I die, unless my family can say, there is something of God in the man, then I will have failed. So does your family see it? Fourth question. Do I have a flow-through philosophy? The freshness is in the flow. The mountain stream is fresh. The Everglades are stagnant. Some of us want to be a lake and not a river. We want to accumulate before we let too much flow through. So there was that guy in Luke chapter 12, the, the, the rich farmer. In fact, if you have your, we have a few minutes, but just turn your Bible, Luke chapter 12. Just back up. This is a great parable, and I know many of you are familiar with it. The rich farmer, the rich fool, actually. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in that place. And then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I've got all this excess, all this abundance, all this surplus. I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Being rich towards God. Hmm. The trigger, the trigger for letting go, if you struggle to have a flow-through philosophy in your life, the trigger is often fear. If you do some heart assessment, why am I not willing to let go of whatever it is God's calling me to let go of? Because I'm afraid if I let go of it, I won't have enough. Whatever it is. And I'm not talking just about money here. Here's the thing. Whatever God has given you, gifts, abilities, creative energy, resources, time, whatever he has, are you willing to release it into the lives of others? To let it flow through you into whoever else needs it. So there's a great story uh, from a number of years ago about a shoeshine guy. And he was, uh, his name was Albert Lexi, and he was a shoeshine man. And for 30 years, he set up shop outside Children's, Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. So you've been there. Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. And he knocked the dirt off of other people's shoes. And he buffs and he polishes and he, he charges a mere $5 for his shoe shining labor. Often a satisfied customer will leave a tip. And most give an extra dollar, some give two. Once during the Christmas season, a doctor gave him $50 for shining one pair of shoes. But big tips like that are few and far between. And people just don't care about the condition of their shoes like they used to. And so Albert is a relic left over from another era, a different world. But when Albert has shined his last shoe and put away his shoe kit for good, his shoe shine kit for good, he will not be forgotten at the Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. Albert will leave behind a legacy. And since the day he shined his first pair of shoes there 30 years ago, he has donated more than a third of his earnings to the Children's Hospital Free Care Fund, which helps parents who can't afford to pay for their sick children's medical costs. In addition, Albert has given, also given the hospital every tip he has ever received. All the tips went in. Albert is just a shoeshine man. How much could there be to give? According to the hospital administration, he gave over $200,000. Wow. It's a seemingly impossible number. Two hundred grand is what professional athletes give, not shoeshine men. And that's, but that's the number. Even small amounts given faithfully 
add up to a powerful legacy. Mm. Jesus praised the widow, right? Remember the widow who's at the offering at the temple? She's putting in her mite, her one small coin. It's what she, all she had. Jesus praised the widow, not due to the large amount she gave, but because of the large heart out of which she gave, the sacrificial heart she gave from. That's what he praised. This woman, this woman, God sees this woman because she's pouring it out. All she, she's giving sacrificially. You guys are just dropping in your few coins that you have. She's giving it all. And he lifted her up and exalted her that day. Remember, this principle involves more than money. So earlier this week, I was having breakfast with one of the guys from the church, and he was telling me a story about a family that lives near him who was going through a hard time, an Amish family, I believe it was. And there was a death, a suicide in the community. And this Amish family, their young teenager, was struggling. They had survived, but they were struggling to deal with this, and they needed some help. They needed some counseling and some resources. And so they had been traveling to a hospital a number of hours away for counseling for this child and their family. And so this guy I was talking to said, you know what, I wanted to do something. And he said, you can't outgive God. He said, so I have wood, and I know this guy burns wood. So I took two cords of wood and took it over my truck. And while he was going, this guy was going, I went over there and put it and stacked it all. And so he could have wood to burn this fall and winter because I know that's important to him and his family. He said, you know what happened? The next day I got a phone call and I got offered a tree. Somebody called me out of the blue. Hey, how, you can ha- take this load of wood. It's yours. And he said it was six cords of wood. So I gave away two and I got six back the very next day. He says, you cannot give God. But that's a great principle about flow through philosophy. He's like, now who else can I give some wood to, right? Who else needs some wood, right? But that's that's the mindset of, hey, I want to be used to bless other people. I want to help. How can I pour it? What do I have that I can give, right? Hmm. Oswald Chambers warns that when we dam up the blessings in our life, we become stagnant and cynical and mean-spirited. We must break the dam and let the blessings flow like a river. So what, what, when we do that, what happens is it leads to, it glorifies God, it blesses others, and it rejuvenates you. A lot of good things happen. When you live with a flow-through philosophy, when you live with a flow-through commitment in your life that what I have is from God and it needs to go out, it needs to move out from me like a river, it brings glory to God, it blesses other people, helps them, lifts them, and it rejuvenates your soul. So there's a, it win, you win all around. God wins all around when you have a flow-through philosophy. Fifth question with two left. First of all, fifth question, do I have a quiet center to my life? Great question. A quiet center. Francis Fenelon, who walked with God in the 1600s, said, peace is what God wants for you no matter what is happening. I wrote that one down. No matter what's happening, God wants you to experience his peace. Our world moves at a breakneck pace. We are saturated with information. If you've watched the college football games over the weekend, the kickoff games, right? I mean, 
I used to watch a game and you could pretty much, you know, they had a box in the corner with the score. And now you got the, the score, the down, the time, the clock that's running. Then at the bottom, you have every other game that's being played at the same time. We're scrolling across. So we are saturated with informa- information overload. More than we even could possibly want or absorb, we've got information all around us. Graphics and updates and 60-second tickers. We are hurried. We are overscheduled. We are often way too busy. And somewhere... There needs to be a place where we can commune with the living God. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Cease striving and know that I am God. And it gives us, when we do that, it gives us genuine perspective. When we have a quiet center, it gives us perspective. It helps us see and helps us hear God more clearly. And here's a good question. Is my well full or is it empty? Because the truth is your your well, my well, they get drained by all the demands on you. And you have little or nothing to draw on. When the well's empty, there's there's nothing to draw. What do you draw on when the well is empty? And I know we all get there. I've been there. But God, help me to live in a way that's sustainable. Help me to live in a way where the well is being replenished at periodic rates and intervals in my, the course of my life. That I'm, getting, uh, that I'm creating space and time to hear from you, to see what you're doing. That's why I have often encouraged, you know, Richard, Richard I love Richard Halverson said, he was the, the late Senate chaplain, United States chaplain, uh, Senate chaplain, Richard Halverson. He said, Jesus didn't have a day planner. He simply went about doing good. That's what the scripture says. He went about doing good. He followed the voice of his father. Some of us, our lives are so crowded with noise and stuff and things to do, we couldn't hear God if he was right on top of us. And he is. Hmm. So an encouragement to you today, as you think about question five, maybe this fall... You want to schedule a day or a half a day and get away and get out to the lake or get out to the mountain cabin or get out to the shore or get out to a park, but get away and, and, and take your Bible, take something to write with. Remember those things? Pens, pencils, pens, and a notebook and just go. And if you can't pull a whole day, take a half a day and just Get out and spend some time developing a quiet center and interacting with God and reading parts of his word and letting him speak to you and writing down what you sense in your spirit as you listen for his voice. God, what are you speaking to me? Find a tree somewhere. Find a a sand dune. Find whatever your spot is. Find a place where you can just be and put your phone away, like leave it in the car or leave it in the bag somewhere hidden Don't pull it out. Just spend time with him. And that's a really important discipline. And I'm speaking that to myself. I need to get away this fall, and i got a spot in mind and a place I need to get to and spend the day just, I want to hear. I want to hear. And so God helped me to do that. Right, Quiet center. 
Now, the sixth question, final question. Have I defined my unique ministry? Do I know what I can do effectively? And so I, I, we've, we've often said this, I, and Brad Duval will, will quote me on this from time to time, but I, we try to keep it really simple. Love God, love people. Serve God, serve people. I mean, that, that, like, let's, let's boil it all down. What's God called us to do? Love him, serve him. Love others, serve them. Like when you, when you, you know, what is ministry? That's ministry, okay? And you all have one. The, the need is always bigger than any person can satisfy. And so my call is simply to handle the part of the need that is mine to do. I can't do what you've been called to do. I have to do what I'm called to do. That's my unique ministry. You have your unique ministry. God's given you. People he's called you to influence. Uh, things he's called you to do and engage in. Gifts he's given you. Passions. Defining your unique ministry is important because so many requests are made that take time and energy. And unless you know the things that God has gifted you for and given you a passion for, you end up doing many mediocre things just to please others. So don't do that. Know your shape. We talk about fitness, and we've talked about shape before. That acronym, spiritual, you have spiritual gifts that you've been given. If you're a believer in Christ, you have a spiritual gift, probably several spiritual gifts. What are they? Lord, help me to know them. Heart, H, heart is my passion area. What stokes my fire? What am I, what, 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 where, where does my heart gravitate toward? The kind of people and needs my heart gravitates towards. Abilities is the A. I've got unique abilities. God's given me those. Personality, P. He's wired you a certain way to interact with certain people at certain times. And then experiences, E, life experiences. We all have them. And God wants to use them. And so maybe God's calling you to help with Awana. As, as Brother Matt said this morning, maybe God's tapping your heart about Awana or to be a greeter or to help teach or to encourage, send encouragement notes or to help with Celebrate Recovery or to be a life group leader or to help with the youth. or da, 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 da. Where has God called you to fit in with your shape to do the ministry he's called you to do? Have, I, have you defined that unique man? If not, Lord, help me to see that. Help me to understand that in this season. Show me that. What does that look like? So here's the thing as we wrap up. You might feel overwhelmed taking in all six questions this morning. There's a lot there. But is there one or two that is gravitating and you feel like, ah, that's something I need to pay attention to? Just pick one. Pick two. You probably can't do all six like this week. You won't, you won't figure, you might. You'd be really good if you do. But one, two questions. You go, I need to camp out there. I need to spend some time there. I need to, I need to get my notebook and my pen. I need to make some notes. God, what are you speaking to me about that? How, do, how, will, how does that look in my life? How can I move forward? How can I move forward with you in that area? Ask that and then begin to listen to the voice of the Spirit as He speaks to you about how to move forward in that area. Thank you for listening to this latest sermon. For more Prof Church, check out our YouTube at Prof Church Lancaster, follow us on Facebook at Prof Church Life, on Instagram at Prof Church, or visit our website, profchurch.net. Thank you for listening, and be sure to make it a great day.